3: Good morning. It's 8:30 on Friday, October 8th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, drug maker Pfizer moves to vaccinate kids as young as five against COVID-19. Then, customs inspectors make a surprising discovery in Gulfport, and we conclude our series on diabetes in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Pfizer says its COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective in children. Yesterday, the drug maker formally asked the FDA to authorize the shot for kids between the ages of 5 and 11. Dr. Anita Henderson is the president of the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She speaks with Kobe Vance.
0: We have a lot of parents out there who have been waiting for this day and are looking forward to getting their children vaccinated. We know that um, the FDA advisory committee is set to meet on October 26th to discuss this Pfizer vaccine, and so we are anxiously awaiting the results of that independent committee's recommendation, and then we will move forward. But we already have patients who are putting themselves on our waiting list and asking to be called the minute. That vaccine is available.
1: When you have people there on the waiting list, what kind of demand are you seeing? Is, is it large?
0: Right now, the children, the parents who are most interested are those whose children have risk factors, such as um, congenital heart disease, diabetes, and maybe cancer survivors. Those parents are absolutely very excited about the vaccine. Then we have another subset who are also excited because they know it will help protect their healthy children who are in school. And right now, some schools are still masking, but many um, Mississippi schools have dropped their mask mandate. So that has caused a lot of concern for some of our parents. So the demand is mixed right now, but our message to pediatricians, to parents, is to go ahead and get those parents and children signed up on wait lists So that when the vaccine is available, when we have it in our offices, we can call them and immediately get them in quickly to get their children vaccinated.
1: From what you've heard, does it sound like it's safe for this age group?
0: What we have heard from Pfizer is that the side effect profile is very similar to the side effect profile for the ages 12 and up. And also we have heard that the immunity, the antibody titers and levels are good one month after that second shot. So we have not seen all of the data, but what they are saying so far is that the safety profile looks very similar to the older ages.
1: Now, where can parents contact to try to get on one of those waiting lists like you were mentioning earlier?
0: Parents can call their pediatricians. They can call their family practice doctors um, to see if they are giving the Pfizer vaccine, and if so, go ahead and put their name on a wait list. Pharmacies will not be giving vaccines down to the age of five here in Mississippi. So those children will need to either go to their pediatrician, their family practice doctor, or the health department will also be giving vaccines down to the age of five. And just a reminder for parents who may not know this, this vaccine is actually one-third of the dose of the adult vaccine. So the Pfizer vaccine that we are looking at for ages 5 to 11 is 10 micrograms compared to the 12 and up dose, which is 30 micrograms.
1: In terms of transmission right now, what are you seeing in your field and what would be your advice to parents who are in districts where they don't no longer require masks in schools?
0: We have, thankfully, in the last few weeks seen a drop in COVID cases in adults and in children, but we are concerned with schools who are lifting their mask mandates about the possibility of a resurgence. So our message to parents is, if your child is 12 and up, get them vaccinated. Get all the adults around your children who are eligible vaccinated, because that will help to protect all your children Talk to your school boards, talk to your school districts about your concerns about lifting mask mandates within your school district. And then, of course, we still recommend masks in the indoor setting for all children within the schools to help prevent the transmission of COVID. We also are seeing more children who are now going to start having to quarantine again because those schools who have lifted mask mandates are going to have more kids who are going to have to stay home, quarantine, and get checked for COVID. So these are the things we're trying to avoid by getting our kids vaccinated and by continuing masks within the schools.
1: Last year, there was a very low rate of flu in schools because of masks. Do you anticipate things being different this year?
0: That's definitely something we're concerned about. The twin-demic is what they're calling it. We've already started to see some circulating influenza within Mississippi through the surveillance system. So we know that we are gonna have more flu this year compared to last year, just because all those safety mitigation measures have been lifted. So that's why we're really encouraging parents to get themselves and their children vaccinated against flu right now, because it is available for all children ages six months and above.
1: Dr. Henderson, is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with Mississippians?
0: I would just like to remind them that um, our children are important. Even though their death rate is much lower than adults, we really want to protect all of them. Um, we, When my children were young, there was a sign in our neighborhood that said, we have many children, but none spare." Please drive slowly. That is our message to parents, to school boards. To pediatricians, to anyone out there who is advocating and um, making decisions on kids, that we need to do everything we can to protect every child out there. Um, and this uh, vaccine that maybe become may become available would be another tool in our toolkit.
1: That did remind me of one last thing I wanted to ask before I let you go. When it comes to long COVID or you know post COVID symptoms, you know what are you seeing in children?
0: The Children's Hospital of Mississippi actually is seeing quite a few children. Um, They actually have a a clinic, um, multisystem inflammatory syndrome clinic, with a multidisciplinary team of infectious disease, cardiologists, rheumatologists, and neurologists, just to take care of those kids with MIS-C. But we are also seeing children who are having long COVID symptoms, such as um, high heart rate, shortness of breath, They are not able to taste or smell even months past their COVID diagnosis. So we are seeing that in children, um, and that is something that is concerning in the long run. That's, again, why we want to prevent COVID in kids.
3: Coming up, a novel find in a shipment of Costa Rican pineapples. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Department of Customs and Border Protection agricultural specialists are tasked with enforcing U.S. federal law by intercepting invasive species hidden in inbound crop shipments. It's an important job, but not always an exciting one. This past weekend, though, inspectors made quite a discovery at the port of Gulfport. Jermon Jupiter is the supervisor at that site. He speaks with Rob Lane.
4: They found a Saundersburg bug, 1850. It was a first in-nation interception. Usually here at the Port of Gulfport, we inspect pineapples and banana containers from the Dole Dole shipping company. We were doing a, a tailgate inspection. CBP agriculture specialist discovered the moth on a tailgate inspection. He then intercepted it, turned it into the... Turn it into USDA for identification, and it was the first in the United States interception.
5: How are agents able to spot insects that may be a problem? Because I'm sure there are insects crawling all over all kinds of fruit that is being shipped into the United States via Mississippi. How did they know that this one might be an issue?
4: Usually, CBP Ag Specialists we have out here at the field are experienced agricultural specialists. They see a lot of routine bugs, but if something piques their interest that may be of significance, they usually act quickly upon it, and, you know, and then they would refer it for further identification. You know, just the, uh, the knowledge and the expertise of, of these agricultural specialists being out there on the front line inspecting these commodities every week, they know what to look for, and then they determine, you know, based on their knowledge as to, oh, this might be something significant to act uh, act upon and turn into the entomologist for identification.
5: For a radio audience, can you describe what this insect looks like?
4: It was a a lepidopter moth. It was a a butterfly. It was blue, white. It was blue and white in color. And it just was a very bright-looking insect and weak and when they submitted the picture to me, it was nothing I had never seen before. So it was, you know, that's what made us act like, "Oh, this is going to be something." But it was a big, be- beautiful butterfly that he found.
5: And what kind of havoc would it have wrought if it were able to make it into the United States and reproduce?
4: That we we didn't know. We really don't know. But the best example would be an Asian gypsy moth, which are prevalent in, through uh, coming through like. Ships and boats that come come from China into like the Pacific Northwest. We have a whole Asian gypsy moth season uh, dedicated to make to finding those bugs. If they get in, they will destroy our agricultural timber and forests, doing damage to those forests and our agricultural products. That would be the best example of a uh, damage to to uh, uh, you know U.S. agriculture would be the Asian gypsy moth with this being a first in nation you know it really really doesn't don't know what what the damage would be that's why it was like that's why it was that it was important for us to give the carrier the option to fumigate or reexport the commodity the bug the commodity because if it had got out we don't know what kind of damage this bug would have done
5: How frequently is a first-in-the-nation animal intercepted? Is this a pretty regular occurrence, or is it more extraordinary? Uh, In
4: my career here, I've been here 15 years. This might have happened in—I can only speak for the Gulf Coast here and this port maybe three times. In the last first-in-nation, it might have been like 2010, 2011— we had, have had a a first in state the state of mississippi a couple of months ago those those are significant also like if you find a an interception that's first in your state but nation is 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 way is more is bigger is a bigger uh, <laughs> bigger accomplishment but you know not gotcha. the it's a big deal <laughs> yeah yeah it's a big
5: deal
4: yeah <laughs> um never been discovered in the united states so that's that's
5: big. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, clearly you're a little bit of a nerd for this stuff. How does that just feel on a personal level to, to 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 know that there was something that showed up at Mississippi this week that had never been in the United States before? What's how how would you describe that just from sort of a a personal it's point a of very,
4: view? It's a very exciting feeling knowing you're on the front line, and that. You intercepting that bug before it gets into U.S. commerce until, until U.S. commerce is a big deal. You're stopping it. You're the first line, intercepting, making sure anything that comes in, you're if you find it, it and it's actionable, it will be rejected. It won't affect American agriculture. You're the first line of defense. So that's an exciting feeling for myself and any agriculture specialists out there.
3: Jermon Jupiter is a U.S. Department of Customs and Border Protection agricultural specialist at the Port of Gulfport. Coming up, more from our series on diabetes in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor
6: ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult. And yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere.
3: This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Today, we conclude the story of Frank Henn, a Mississippi man who's lived with diabetes since he was 17. Prior to the Affordable Care Act kicking in in 2010, Frank says he was forced at times to choose between proper diabetes care and paying his mortgage.
6: So I had the same box of 100 needles for years. I just reused the needles. You reuse your finger prickers uh, that, that draws blood out of your finger to, to put on the test strip. The test strip's... They're about $100 a month if you're going to test the recommended amount, but you don't don't have that money, so you don't test the recommended amount. You're doing good if you test once a day, or I was doing good at the time if I was testing once a day.
3: You were on dialysis. Do you think that your pancreas gave out or that you were in, in need of dialysis because your diabetes wasn't monitored properly, because you didn't have an endocrinologist for all those years, because you couldn't afford insulin at times and you were sort of hedging here and there?
6: I would say that probably played the biggest role, yes. I mean, there's there, there's no doubt uncontrolled diabetes destroys your body. Uh, it destroys your eyes. You lose limbs. Yeah, I mean, no doubt.
3: Diabetes attacks your eye, your limbs, and your kidneys. In Frank's case, so aggressively that his medical team determined he needed a transplant. Dr. Stephen Farrow is an endocrinologist based in Biloxi.
2: These things can certainly happen. Transplants are relatively rare, uh, even though they are much more common than they were and much more successful than they were one or two decades ago. Dialysis is extraordinarily expensive, and uh, diabetic patients are disproportionately represented in um, hemodialysis circles. Without dialysis, without replacing that kidney function, these individuals are offered a very short lifespan. Kidneys, although uh, transplant is successful, kidneys are at a premium. You are faced with potentially a lifespan's commitment to immunosuppressive drugs, which make it more likely for you to develop infections potentially even cancers. So even though transplant is infinitely preferable to a life on a hemodialysis machine, it is not free of complication. And it's this is, again, an extremely expensive procedure.
3: Serious stuff. But by all accounts, Frank Henn's transplant was a success. He underwent the procedure in January of this year.
6: I still have type 1 diabetes. You'll you, always have
3: it, you, but you don't have There's to no manage sense. it as uh, as diligently because of this transplant of your pancre- or pancreas and kidney transplant.
6: Correct. So, where I went from not having a working pancreas, I now have a completely, hundred percent working pancreas that does everything your pancreas does. You know, essentially, my pancreas ruined my kidney. Uh, you can't get a transplant for just a pancreas. You usually have to. Your kidneys usually have to go bad to get any sort of transplant. Uh, and if, if you're a type one diabetic and your pancreas just destroyed your kidney, they don't really want to give you a new kidney. If your pancreas is going to keep destroying your new kidneys. So, uh, if you qualify, they'll give you a pancreas and a, and a kidney. And yeah, so that happened to me in January and I haven't, I haven't counted a step. I haven't counted the carbohydrate. Uh, I haven't, uh, woke up in the middle of the night with my wife trying to jump apple juice down my throat or, you know, uh, haven't woken up the paramedics or anything. I mean, it's, uh, it, it is like being cured of, of diabetes. I definitely feel better than I have in 30 years. Just the, the weight of constantly thinking about your diabetes. You know, you might you might not think you're thinking about your diabetes, but every decision you make throughout your day is because of your diabetes. Like every single decision and every single decision affects your diabetes and every single decision will keep you alive till the next decision or kill you before the next decision. And that is such a giant weight that's on you. And it's, it's even exacerbated more by you know, if your blood sugar isn't in check and it's fluctuating for a day or two because whatever reason, it just feels like it. You know, there's, there's not always rhymes or reasons for your, your blood sugar doing what it does. And so you might have a bad couple of days where you still got to go to work because you still have to pay for your insurance and still have to get your insulin. You can't take a sick day because your blood sugar has been messed up for three days. So you end up going to work, having mood swings, taking it out on your coworkers, taking it out on your friends, taking it out on your family. Eliminating all those little things from my life is just so gigantic. Like I can breathe, I can enjoy things. I don't have to get worked up about anything. I don't have to interrupt every single thing I'm doing to go mess with my diabetes. <laughs> that I can't even describe how much easier it is to live life that way.
3: Of course, a happy ending to Frank's story doesn't negate the fact that about one in seven Mississippians are still in the trenches fighting a life and death battle against, in the majority of cases, type two diabetes. The Gulf state as a whole between Mississippi, or the Gulf South as a whole between Mississippi, Louisiana and Alabama is home to more than a million people living with diabetes. Amidst national and global efforts to combat the disease, our region is ground zero.
2: We really do not want to be number one in diabetes. There's something we can do about this and lead the nation out of this um, diabetes and obesity epidemic. Having appropriate levels of um, health literacy are really important, and this is being um, uh, promoted by the State Department of Public Health. Correcting food insecurity, which predisposes to type 2 diabetes, uh, is another major mission that uh, is being addressed Number three, we have a group, the National Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute, that was created by the governor, by a public-private partnership to bring the expertise of all the um, agencies in Mississippi that are interested in promoting health together to help us work with national experts to um, to solve diabetes and obesity. There are things that the individual can do. Understand that a diet high in fresh produce and natural beverages. And engaging in appropriate physical activity for yourself and for your family are contributions you can make today to prevent disease and avoid the expense and the heartbreak of diabetes and obesity.
3: Our thanks to Stephen Farrow, who's an endocrinologist and the executive director of the National Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute in Biloxi. And a special thanks to Frank Hen for sharing his story. No one diabetes journey is quite like another. Here in Mississippi, the disease affects young and old people alike. It ravages rural and low-income communities, and it preys on Black, Hispanic, and Native American Mississippians at disproportionately higher rates. Over the next few weeks, we'll continue conversations with people of all backgrounds backgrounds on the front lines of the fight against diabetes. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning.